in the year A.D. 73, a small band of 930 Jews resisted the entire might of the Roman Empire from a rock fortress called Masada. Masada, which really the Hebrew word means fortress, rises 1,300 feet above the surrounding desert at the southern end of the Dead Sea. From the top, if you stand on top of Masada, you look down, you still can see the outline of the Roman military camps that have camped over there in order to stop the supply from going in to the 930 Israelites inside that fortress. On one side of the fortress, you still can see the remains of a ramp that the soldiers were trying to build, a dirt ramp that would be 1,300 feet high in order to go up to the top of the fortress and go in that way. But finally, when Roman troops stormed the wall of that fortress, they were met by an eerie silence. The dead bodies of 930 men, women, and children stole away the thrill of victory for the Roman soldiers. These 930 Jews have chosen to die free than to live in the indignity of slavery. Now please hear me right. Suicide under any condition is wrong, very wrong. But the spiritual lesson that I want to draw out here is this. That until we learn to die to self, we will live our Christian life in defeat. Until we learn to die to sin, we will live our Christian life in bondage. Until we learn to die to pride, we will continue to live our Christian life in spiritual slavery and servitude. You know, in modern Israelites, Israeli soldiers, when they enter the military, they take them for a swearing ceremony right there in Masada. As if to say, there... They vow never to be brought into bondage again. And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our own swearing-in ceremony. And it is found in James chapter 4 verse 7. And there it is made of two commands, and both commands are dependent on each other. One is dependent on the other. Look at verse 7. The first command is this, submit to God, surrender In total obedience and without hesitation and without reservation. Without any territories that kept for you. Surrender to God. And the consequence of that, in the construction of that sentence is this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, there can be no fleeing of the devil. You are not able to resist the devil until you begin by surrendering to God. Someone asked George Mueller, one of my heroes, the great man of faith of the last century. Someone asked him, what is the secret of your victorious Christian living? What is that secret? Give it to me. We're always looking for a formula. (laughs) And here's what George Mueller very simply said. It was the day I died, utterly died. And then he leaned over, literally touching the ground as he continued. And he said, die to George Mueller to his opinions, to his preferences, to his will, died to the world, to its approval or censure, died to the approval or the blame, even by my brethren and my friends. 
And since I have done this, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. End of court. We saw in the last message that on the cross, Jesus disarmed Satan. He disarmed the principalities. He disarmed the powers. That on the cross, Jesus rendered Satan's power over the believer to be deactivated. We saw that on the cross, Jesus made a public example, a public show of the angelic hierarchy, the fallen angels. And today, if any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ find himself or find herself to be defeated, listen to me very carefully. It is because you have bought into the lie of believing that Satan has irresistible power over you, and he does not. James said, resist the devil and he's going to flee from you. He will run away from you. I mean, just visualize this in your mind. The devil can flee from you. He's afraid of you. James does not give us a picture here of a soldier who's standing up in the battlefield, being beaten up to pulps, blood everywhere, swollen heads, standing there, all beaten up, but really putting on a brave front and just continues to be beaten. No, that is not the image that he gives us here. That is not the picture that he gives us here. Listen to me very carefully. Here's the image that he gives us. It is a picture of a general. A general who has decimated his enemy. And then he calls in his officers to go in and clean house. It's a picture of a general who have finished defeating the enemy. And then he calls up for his reserves to come in and do the mop-up operation. It is a picture of a general who has got the enemy on the run. And now he says to his soldiers, go get them. Go finish the job. That is the picture that James gives us. And the first thing that we must know about our commanding general is what God has promised us in the word of God. And it's in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. What Paul is saying is here, God has raised us up together. And he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? What does that mean? It means that when Christ Jesus arose from the grave, we the believers have arisen with him. When Jesus Christ was ascended into heaven, we the believers were ascended with him. When Jesus Christ is seated on the Father's right hand, we the believers are seated with him in the heavenly places. When God gave his son authority over the angelic beings, he gave that same authority to his children. Why? Because everything God gave to the head, he gave to the body. So what does that mean to you tomorrow morning when you go to work? What does that mean to you tomorrow morning when you got a a kitchen full of mess that you have to deal with? (laughs) Here's what it means. That if you get into that battlefield, your battlefield, wherever you are. If you get into that battlefield from the earthly circumstances perspective, you are going to be clobbered. But if you enter into your battlefield from your positional situation in the heavenly places... Having risen with Christ, ascended with Christ, seated on the right hand side of God with Christ. Then you can be sure you can dismantle Satan piece by piece. I want you to hear me right. The Bible said that we are created lower than angels. It's in the Psalms. Psalm 8. That is in the Old Testament. 
We have been created a notch lower than angels in terms of hierarchy creation. But by virtue of our new birth, by virtue of our new creation, by virtue of being born of the Spirit of God, God has raised us up. He has elevated us in a position higher and above the angels. So when you as a believer claim that you cannot break away from the bondage in which you're living, if you claim that you cannot be freed from that addiction that you're into, you know what you're doing? You have been taken in by the greatest con artist in the world. You have been deceived into believing that you have no power. You have been conned into believing that Satan and sin have the upper hand. You have been deceived and you have been lured into the big lie of seeing yourself as a victim. You're seeing yourself as helpless, seeing yourself as powerless. While in reality, you have authority over Satan and over Satan's demons. Why? Because you have joined yourself to Jesus Christ. And if you have not done that, then you better do it today. And when you join yourself to the victor, the commanding general... You have the same authority that he has over the enemy. Because our commanding general has authority over Satan, we have authority over Satan. You know, even before the cross, there on the cross, you remember from the last message, Jesus went into hand-to-hand combat with Lucifer and he defeated him, disarmed him completely. But even before the cross where that victory has taken place, You find in the Gospels, in one confrontation after another, where Jesus confronted the demons, whether they will be attacking a person's mind or attacking a person physically, whatever kind of attack the demons were doing. Confrontation after another, Jesus had authority over demons. I'll give you one example just because of the shortness of time. In Matthew chapter 8, particularly verse 29, there is a story Jesus comes into the Gadarenes countryside. And two vicious men coming out from the cemetery, coming out from the graves. And they confronted Jesus and the demons within them began to talk, began to speak. In fact, they yelled out, they cried out. And they said, are you here to torment us before the time? And the word torment means consignment to eternal punishment, which we're going to see a lot more of it in the next message. These demons who stood face to face with Jesus Christ since before the creation of the world, they recognized him to be their judge. They recognized him to be the one who has authority over them, who will condemn them to eternity. These demons anticipated the coming of the judgment of God. They anticipated the coming of the Messiah. They anticipated the coming of Jesus Christ and his judgment over all of the fallen angels. These demons recognized that their boss, Lucifer, who deceived them to follow him in rebellion against God, they recognized that he is defeated. They recognized that he is to be suffering in the lake of fire for eternity. And they know that they have been deceived and they're going to suffer with him. They know that. And that is why they yelled out to Jesus. They asked him, had you come before we are expecting you? Have you come before the expected time? But not only the demons themselves know that they are defeated into the lake of fire. Satan himself, their boss, he, that person of Satan, he's a person, make no mistake about it. He knows too that the judgment is upon him. 
That is why in Revelation 12 and 12 said, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and who dwells in them. But word to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with fury. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. No wonder that the Apostle Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Mark it down in your Bible. It's the greatest verse in my life. <laughs> the Apostle Paul could say, Thanks be to God who in Christ. Always leads us into a triumphal procession. He doesn't lead you in that triumphal procession on Sundays only. He leads you in that triumphal processions on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesdays and on Thursdays and on Fridays and on Saturdays. And here again, Paul gives us this incredible picture of a victorious military general who's returning from his military conquest, who's returning from his military victory, returning, marching. In a parade. And there you are. And I am walking behind him. Look at our boss. He won the battle. We're winning the victory with him too. That is the picture that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. You see, on the cross Jesus gave us salvation by the shedding of his blood. He made that possible by his death on the cross. The pure and the sinless for the sinful. When he paid that price to satisfy the justice of God. But in the resurrection, and by his resurrection, he gave the believers the basis for their daily victory. We have salvation from his hand, but we also have victory from his hand because of the resurrection. He gave us victory over our adversary. Sometimes when I see defeated Christians and going around and shrinking in and said, well, you know, things are not going well. We've got to watch for this and we've got to do this and we've got to be careful and even see church planning and they, they're really planning down instead of planning up. They want to get away from Satan's territory because it's too dangerous instead of going out and invading his territory. And when I see this, I, I shudder because I say to myself, hell cannot forget that Jesus rose victorious from the dead. Heaven is rejoicing every single day because Jesus in their midst, they know he has risen from the dead. But we, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the believers in Christ, seem to live as though he's still bound in the tomb. Jesus Christ came forth from the grave as a victor so that you and I might walk in the train of his triumph so that you and I might walk in the parade of his victory so that you and I might march in his power we're not only called upon to believe and exercise authority over angels that our power and our authority exceeds the power of angels we're not only called upon To believe and practice that Satan is a defeated foe. But we also are to fully trust in the promise of God. Not wavering. Not for a moment. And the promise of God is this. Whenever you resist Satan, he's going to (laughs) run. Now there are different ways of resisting. I've seen Christians who resist the devil this way. Uh... Well, devil, please don't. Just stay away from me. And then they come and give them the shiny one. I said, well, Lord, I have a weak fall in nature. And uh, I'm trying to resist him the best I can. But I'm just going to go over there and look at it again. (laughs) That's not the resisting that he's talking about. 
Do you remember in the book of Exodus, when God said to the people of Israel, when they're living in slavery in Egypt, and he said, now put blood right on the doorposts and the lentils, and cover that with blood. Now I want to tell you something. Some of those smart Israelites could have said, Oh, God, what has this got to do with the price of eggs? We are suffering here in slavery in Egypt. What has it got to do putting a blood on the door? Everybody could have had an opinion. Everybody could have had an idea. Everybody could have got together and said, well, let's vote on this. (laughs) But they did it in obedience. And they put the blood. And then in the middle of the night, the angel of death comes in and he enters into their town. And then he sees the blood and he passes. He sees the blood and he passes. He sees the blood and he passes. I want to tell you something. There was no power in hell that could have pried these doors open. Because it was sealed by God's word. It was sealed by the promises of God. It was sealed by the authority of God's word. It was sealed by the mighty power of God himself. I want to declare to you without a shadow of hesitation that whenever you are going under satanic attack, and let me tell you something, I know all about it. You're not going to tell me anything I probably don't know. And I'm not being bragging or proud because I wish I didn't have it. I'm telling you that I understand. Whatever attack you might be suffering, whether it is temptation of sin, or whether it is attack upon your emotions, whether it is attack upon you mentally, whether it is attack upon you through oppression and depression, whatever attack you might be suffering, whether it is something that is cooling off your love for Jesus Christ, whatever the attack may be, I want to tell you that when you plead the value of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is going to run away from you. He's not going to continue his attack. Please hear me right. Your victory over the enemy is not because who you are or what is your net worth or what family you come from. Your victory is not based on any of that. Your victory is based on the victory of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Because that Death on the cross not only provided you salvation, not only saved you eternally from the condemnation of sin, but it has given you protection against the enemy's onslaught. This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God given to us day in and day out and day in and day out. It's not back then when you gave your life to Christ and become born again and then you just forget all about it. No. God did not call us to hide from the enemy. God did not call us to run from the enemy. God did not call us to outsmart the enemy. No. God called upon us to cover ourselves with the whole armor of God. He called upon us to withstand actively, believing the word of God and what the word of God says about our authority in Jesus Christ, believing what the word of God says about our victory in Jesus Christ, believing what the word of God says about putting on the adversary to flight. And the only reason and the only way we can get that victory is because we have joined with the victor. We had joined with Christ. But you know, sometimes Satan attacks us through his demons, but he sometimes attacks us through an undiscerning Christians. Sometimes he attacks us 
through self-serving Christians. He attacks us by those outside, of course. But I'm talking about the subtle attack that comes from Christians. And you say, is that really possible? (laughs) You better believe it. In Matthew chapter 16, if you want to turn to it, turn to it with me. Peter had no sooner finished speaking the great words of the confession of who do you say that I am. His confession was, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. He no sooner uttered those words, and you know what happened? Satan started getting busy. He started working on Peter. The last thing Satan wanted is for Peter to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So right after Peter's confession, Jesus takes the disciples aside and he said, Now guys, I want to tell you something. Let me tell you that I've come to die. And I'm going to die on the cross. And because I have to die on the cross. And I've got to die in order to redeem you from sin. In order to save you eternally. In order that the world might come to know my father. And he tells them all about the cross. And the resurrection. And what does Peter do? Verse 22 of Matthew 16. Peter takes Jesus aside. He says. And he began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him. You know what in effect he was saying? He's saying, don't do such a thing. Don't do such a thing. You know, that happens in your life and in my life all day long. God calls upon you to do something for him. And somebody else comes in and says, don't do it. Don't do such a thing. God calls upon you to make a sacrificial thing in your life. Some real big sacrifice. And some said, that doesn't make sense. Don't do it. Let somebody else do it. God calls upon you to give yourself to full-time ministry. And others say, don't do such a thing. Let others do it. God calls upon you to sacrifice time for him. And others would say, don't do such a thing. Others would take care of it. God calls upon you to take a job that is perhaps paying you less than you think you deserve. You take something below your level and God says, do it because I want to use you in a certain way. And somebody said, no, don't do such a thing. Go for the gold. And the Bible said that Jesus turned to Peter and he said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not on God's side, but of man. <laughs> this is the great apostle Peter. This is the great disciple, the chief disciple. You know, Peter is a great encouragement to me. <laughs> he really is. First of all, he knows how to repent. But Jesus recognizes in Peter that he has become an instrument of Satan. That Peter was being used by Satan to mouth Satan's will, Satan's philosophy, Satan's desire. Can a Christian do that? You better believe it. Whenever you're making some important decision in your life, you know what begins to happen? Carnality comes in, human logic comes in, human wisdom comes in, all come in. In order to invade your decision making process. And here's the second thing why Peter is a great encouragement to me. He turns around and he remembers that moment. 
After the resurrection, he remembers that moment. He can't forget it. When he began to understand the plan of God, the purpose of God. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die? Why was he resurrected? And Peter had to remember that. And he turns around and he says to you and he says to me. He says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil is roaring lion, walking around, seeking whom he may devour. He knows it firsthand. He has experienced it firsthand. Satan wants to devastate him. Please hear me right. Every time you get out of the will of God, you are doing Satan's bidding. Every time you let your pride get in the way and gets the most of you and the best of you, you are used by Satan. Every time you refuse to insist on resisting the devil, refuse to stand your ground, you refuse to send him packing as James tells you to do, you have bought into Satan's lie. Every time you flee from the devil, you are accomplishing Satan's mission. The Bible never tells us to run from the devil. He tells us to run from temptation, but never from the devil. Far from running, you are to keep him on the run. You are to resist him to the end. You are to send him fleeing away. The most asked question, how do I resist the devil? The only model, the only example we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. He resists him by the word of God. He fought him back by the word of God and the authority of that word. So when he comes to you to bring you doubt, whether he does that through one of his demons or he does that through some other person, and he come and bring you doubt in your heart about your Christian walk, and he said, are you really a Christian? Do you really think you're going to heaven? Here's what you need to do. You pull out your big gun of 1 John 5, 11, and 12, and you say to him, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and his life is in his son. And he who has the son has life and he who has not the son has not life. When he comes to you and tries to tell you that your sins are too big for God to forgive. You have done so many miserable things in the past. God can never forgive you. Pull out 1 John 1.10 and say to him, if we say we have not sinned, we have Made him a liar and his word is not in us. When he comes to you and he says, look at you, miserable condition. Look at where you are. You're not even able to get up from your bed. You're not even able to get up out of your misery that you're in. How can you say that God loves you? We'll blow him away with Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when he turns his attack and says to you, God doesn't answer prayer these days. He's not answering your prayer. Look how long you've been waiting. Well, you gun him down with John 16, 24. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. When he tries to hit you about your suffering, whatever physical suffering, financial suffering, or whatever you're going through, throw 2 Corinthians 12, 9 at him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Lord Nelson reported to the British Admiralty, That his great victory over the French 
in the battle of the Nile. He said about that victory, he said, in fact, the word victory is not large enough word to describe what had taken place in that battle. British understatement. (laughs) When you resist the devil and he flees from you, heaven is watching. And heaven is rejoicing. And the angels are saying that the word victory is not large enough word to describe what has just taken place. Heaven rejoices in your victory and in mine. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, our misery comes when we take our eyes off our position of being seated in the heavenlies with you. And we get so muddled into all the muck of the world of which we're leaving behind anyway. Our defeat comes when we take our eyes off our prize. Forgive us. We claim the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to come upon your people today. There will be renewal in every heart and every home today, Lord Jesus. Not because who we are. Lord, you know who we are. We're nothing without you. But because of Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection power that is working in us. For that we give you thanks in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.